Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Now, that is a very intense question for Paul to be asking. And uh, we're going to see that this actually becomes the theme of the entire chapter, chapter 11. And Paul goes about seeking to answer this question. Has God rejected his people? Chapter 11 is, I would say, probably one of the most difficult chapters in the whole Bible. And there are some very difficult verses to understand. And because they are so difficult, I believe a lot of people have come to some very bad conclusions and some erroneous conclusions. And so, unfortunately, a lot of error has come out of chapter 11. And so I want to work through chapter 11 here, verse by verse, and make it as clear as possible. And we're going to put it all into the context of the new covenant, all into the context of the gospel of grace, and all in the context of what Paul was trying to say here. There's not lots of different versions and lots of different ways to interpret chapter 11. There really is only one way to see it and one way to interpret it because Paul was, he was trying to communicate something very clearly. And we want to know what is it exactly that Paul was communicating. I'm not interested in the five different theological ways of understanding a particular verse in chapter 11. I want to know what did Paul intend his audience to understand from what he was saying. What was he really saying? And so I'm going to do my best to put it in context and to help us to see the grace of God in this chapter, because the book of Romans is Paul's thesis on the gospel of grace. And that's what he's going about to establish a firm foundation and understanding of the grace of God. And he's very bold and very strong throughout the book of Romans. And most of the chapters come down to the issue of law versus grace, works versus faith. And Paul has been incredible the way that he's gone through each chapter and he's shown us that it is all about grace through faith in Jesus Christ and it's not about works. And this is for everyone, Jew and Gentile. There's no such thing as earning our salvation. There's no such thing as keeping the law in order to be saved or in order to stay saved, or in order to help complete your salvation. It is all about faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul has made that abundantly clear throughout the chapters. And so he starts out asking, has God rejected his people? Now, why would he ask such an intense question? And when he says his people, he's referring to Israel. Has God rejected Israel? And when he says his people, Israel, He's speaking about Israel as a whole. Has God rejected all of Israel? Now, why would he ask that question? The reason is because in chapter 9 and chapter 10, he's shown us how Israel failed to receive Jesus as Messiah because they were blinded by the law. They were blinded by their ignorance and their unbelief. And they were stuck in an old covenant mindset and a law-based mindset. And so they were seeking to establish their own righteousness through the law. And in chapter 10, he quotes Moses, David, and Isaiah, all speaking about Israel, that they are obstinate, hard-hearted, stiff-necked, unbelieving people that have always resisted the will of God. And he's referencing that to the current Israel of Paul's day. And so throughout chapter 9 and 10, Paul shows us that Israel ultimately didn't have eyes to see, didn't have ears to hear the gospel and the message of Jesus. In fact, they rejected Christ. And because they rejected Christ, they ultimately ended up crucifying Christ. And this is a great sin, crucifying Christ, the Messiah. They crucified him. And yet this was a part of God's plan of salvation. This was all a part of God's election of grace that God had chosen that mankind was going to be saved through the grace of God and never through works. And so because of Israel's unbelief, they crucified Christ. And the irony of this is that because they crucified Christ, salvation now has gone out to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles now are included in God's 
plan of salvation and they can now be saved. Before they couldn't. Salvation had only come to the Jews and that was if they kept the law. But once Christ was offered, then there is no more sacrifice for sin. So that old covenant system no longer worked of sacrificing animals to cover your sins. That no longer worked because Christ was offered. And so Paul is asking, has Israel blown it? Them crucifying Christ, does that mean that's it? God's cut them off. God's rejected them. They can no longer be saved. And so Paul very quickly answers this question of has God rejected his people? As we continue in verse 1, he says, By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. And so Paul's logic here is very simple. It's like, how can God have rejected his people if I am a part of his people? If I am an Israelite, I've been born again, saved. If God hasn't rejected Paul, who is an Israelite, it means God hasn't rejected his people. And then verse 2, Paul says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And so I believe this is speaking about his people, all of his people, the, the Jewish people that he foreknew. When did he foreknow them? I believe he's speaking about in Abraham. This is the start of the Jewish people where God called Abraham out of the Gentiles and covenanted himself with Abraham, made many promises to Abraham. And through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob came Israel, came the Jewish people and came the line of promise, which is that through your seed, all nations will be blessed, meaning that God was going to bring the Messiah through the Jewish people. And so God actually protected the Jewish people throughout the centuries because he was protecting his line of promise. And if he didn't protect that line of promise, that line of promise would have been broken and the Messiah would not have been able to come forth. And we actually see God protecting it. It came down to one person. Remember Joseph. And, and Joseph is actually a type of Christ, a deliverer leader. And his brothers committed a great sin when they sold him into slavery, to Egypt. And Joseph ends up in Egypt. Many things happen, but he ends up becoming prime minister of Egypt and a very powerful person. And then a great famine comes over the land of Canaan and Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to ask for mercy and for food. And that is where they meet up again with Joseph, who ends up saving them. And even though it was a great sin they committed by selling him into slavery, if they didn't do that, he wouldn't have later been able to save them. And most likely the line of promise would have completely died out, which means the Savior could never have come. But God protected the line of promise. And all throughout the history of Israel, when judgments have come upon Israel, you'll see that God has actually continued to protect the line of promise. And we'll see that they actually are called the remnant. And uh, reading on in verse 2, Paul says, Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And so during the time of Elijah, which was when King Ahab and Jezebel was reigning in Israel, and it was a very dark time, Israel had turned their backs on God. They were worshipping Baal and idols and foreign gods. And God's judgments were upon Israel. And Israel was being wiped out. And yet in all of those judgments, there was still a faithful remnant of people that were a part of the Abrahamic line of promise that continued to walk in faithfulness to God. They hadn't turned to idols and worship of Baal. And there were 7,000 of them. And the significance of 7,000 is that that is God's number for perfection and completeness. So it shows that God's hand was upon the 7,000 to preserve them. Whether it was exactly 7,000, we're not sure. But I believe the significance is that God's hand was upon this remnant to preserve them. Even though all of Israel had rejected God and been unfaithful, there was still a remnant who was walking in the promises of God and God was protecting them. And then Paul says, so it is today. There is a remnant 
in Israel that has been chosen by grace. And so Paul was saying in the past, there was a huge amount of Jewish people that rejected God and judgments came upon them. It seemed like they were cut off. And yet in all of that, there was always a remnant of believers, a part of the Abrahamic line of promise that continued to walk in faithfulness and believe, and they were saved and they were preserved. He's saying it's the same today during Paul's time. There's a whole lot of Jews that have rejected Jesus and have rejected God ultimately. And yet there's a whole lot who have received Christ. They have believed in Christ. And so they are part of God's remnant. They are a part of the line of promise. And then he says that they are chosen by grace. And I don't believe this is God's sovereign election where he's just randomly chosen some people. I believe it's speaking about these are the Jewish people that have received Christ by faith. And therefore they have received the grace of God. That's what makes them part of the remnant. That's what makes them a part of the elect, the chosen, because they received Jesus. They believed in the grace of God. They believe in a faith righteousness, not a works righteousness. Most of Israel had rejected Christ and were relying on a works righteousness. And this is what Paul is explaining here in chapter 11. He's not talking about some divine election, God choosing some, God choosing. No, he's talking about anyone can be saved if they have faith in Christ, whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile. And if Jews reject Christ, then they will not be saved. And if Gentiles reject Christ, they also won't be saved. And Paul is saying it all comes down to grace. And then verse 6, he says, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And so this remnant of Israel that has been chosen by grace, they are the chosen or the elect because they have received the grace of God. The rest of Israel is trying to rely on works. And that's why they are not a part of the chosen. You could say they are rejected, but God hasn't rejected them. They've rejected God. They rejected Messiah. And I just love Paul's clarification here between grace versus works. There can be no mixture. He says if salvation, if being a part of the remnant, if being a part of God's people comes by grace, he says then it cannot come by works. He says it's either one or the other. It's either grace or it's works. He says if it's grace, then it cannot be works. If God gives it to us as a gift, salvation as a gift, then it means we can't earn it. It means we don't have to earn it because it's a gift. So if it's not a gift and it comes by works, then we have to earn it through our works and it's not a gift. So it cannot be both. It cannot be salvation as a gift, but you also have to earn it. That's, that's strange. That's weird. It's, that's contradictory. No, salvation is by grace and grace alone. It doesn't include works at all. And I just love how Paul makes it so black and white. It's either one or the other. And unfortunately, so many believers are still mixing law and grace. They, they believe that we're saved by the grace of God, but we also have to have works. We've got to work to earn, keep or complete our salvation. And Paul's saying, no, you're wrong. It's either fully by grace and not by works, or it's fully by works and not by grace. And so I love how Paul makes that very clear here. And so it's very simple. The Jewish people that are saved, that are part of God's chosen, they are the ones who received Christ and received the grace of God. And the Jewish people that are not a part of God's remnant chosen by grace, not in the grace of God, they are the ones who try to establish their own righteousness through works. And then in verse 7, Paul makes a concluding statement that clarifies the contrast between the majority of Israel who rejected Christ and failed to receive salvation and the smaller minority of Jewish people who've received Christ, received the grace of God and have received salvation. He says, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. In other words, the majority of Israel, they failed to obtain salvation, even though it was the very thing they were seeking. They were seeking to establish a righteousness through the law. And yet they didn't attain that because you cannot attain righteousness through the law. 
Paul reveals in Romans, but now a righteousness that is apart from the law has been revealed. This is the righteousness of God that comes through faith. And so the elect, they obtained this salvation. The elect, that is the Jews who received Christ, who had faith in Christ, like Paul, descendant of Abraham, an Israelite. He received Christ. He's a part of the elect. This is not some chosen few before creation and God's elected some to salvation and some not. To no, this is those who received the grace of God. They heard the gospel and they believed the gospel and they received Jesus. They are a part of the elect. God has not rejected them, but the rest who rejected Christ, they didn't obtain salvation. In fact, their hearts were hardened. And he says, but the rest were hardened. And so the rest of Israel who rejected Christ, their hearts were hardened. Now, I don't believe it is God who hardened their hearts. You'll have some people that believe that God hardens some people's hearts and he opens other people's hearts. And so he makes some people miss out on salvation and he makes others receive salvation because he's chosen everyone who's going to be saved. I, I just reject that belief. I believe it's unbiblical and I believe it comes from reading scripture out of context. God doesn't harden people's hearts. People harden their own hearts and then God gives them over to a hard heart. And we see that in the very first chapter of the book of Romans, in verse 18, where it talks about the wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness. And those people who, because of sin, they've suppressed the truth and rejected God. And because of this, God gave them over to a depraved mind. God didn't start with just giving them a depraved mind. No, they are responsible. They started by rejecting the truth and rejecting God. They hardened their hearts against God. And so God gave them over. And so Israel who rejected Christ, they rejected Christ because their hearts were hard. Why were their hearts hard? Because they were trusting in the law. They didn't have faith in the grace of God, the righteousness that comes through faith as a gift of grace. No, they went about to establish their own righteousness and that caused their hearts to be hard against grace and against the free gift, against Jesus doing everything for... No, they were trying to do it all. And so because of their hardness of heart, because of their unbelief, it says in verse 8, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. And so this very much is speaking about that Pharisaical spirit, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law and the Jewish people that were just religious and self-righteous and legalistic. They were the ones who all rejected Christ and they were the ones who crucified Christ. Imagine how hard your heart must have to be to not recognize the Messiah who was sent from God and instead crucify him. And most of Israel of Paul's day are still in this. They still rejected Christ as Messiah. And so everywhere Paul went to preach the gospel of grace and the free gift of righteousness that comes simply through faith in Christ, he was persecuted all over the world by religious Jewish people who were hard in heart, who were angry. And so the question is, all of these Jewish people who have that same spirit of unbelief and hardness of hearts, who reject Christ and crucify Christ, have they been cut off? Have they completely blown it? I mean, their rejection of Christ, has that cut them off completely? And is the door shut for salvation to them? Well, in verse 11, Paul says, So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? In other words, completely fall away and be lost forever. And there's no chance of salvation ever for them. Did that sin cause them to be cut off from God irrevocably forever? Paul says, by no means. Rather, through their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. And so he is saying, like, actually... God used their sin, their trespass. 
it was actually all a part of God's plan. Even though God didn't make them sin, they chose to sin. But God used that so that Christ, the once for all sacrifice, would be sacrificed and salvation go out to the nations of the world. And so this is a divine, ironic mystery where the Jewish people rejected God's salvation and they killed the Savior. And because of that, salvation went out to all the world, to the Gentiles. And so verse 12, Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now what does it mean, their full inclusion? Because I used to read this wrong. I used to think like, if their sin meant riches to the Gentiles, then how much more, when the Jewish people get saved... How much greater is that going to be for the world? Like that must mean awesome revival everywhere and the whole world getting saved. No, Paul is referring to Israel. It's going to be great for Israel. If their sin means riches to the world, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And so Paul here is affirming that the door is not shut to Israel. Israel still has the opportunity to be saved, to be fully included. At the moment, most of Israel is cut off, is not included. But through becoming jealous of the Gentiles being saved, and if that jealousy provokes them to putting faith in Christ and being included in Christ, coming in, being included in Christ, he says that is going to be awesome. Firstly, because salvation is supposed to come to the Jews, to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles. They were God's chosen, called out people. So if they were to miss salvation, that would be a great travesty and a tragedy. No, they are supposed to be saved. And yet they were the ones who were missing out mostly on salvation and the Gentiles are being saved. And so Paul's saying, no, I desire and I long for Israel to be saved. And if Israel turns to Christ, what an exciting thing that would be. Verse 13, now I am speaking to you Gentiles inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And so Paul is speaking to all Gentiles. He's an apostle to all the Gentiles. He says, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And so Paul is saying that salvation, the door to salvation is still open. It's not closed. They can still be saved. Israel that has rejected Christ can still be saved. In verse 15 for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? And so this is actually a very important verse in chapter 11. And there is a very important key within this verse. And that is where it says, For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world. Reconciliation of the world. It's very important that we see this key because of Israel's sin in, in crucifying Christ the world has been reconciled back to God now that doesn't mean that the whole world has been saved it simply means that the whole world now has the opportunity to be saved the whole world has now been included in God's plan of salvation and so the whole world can be saved doesn't mean the whole world is saved. They need to have faith in Christ, which is the most dominant theme in the book of Romans. And so it's important to understand this reconciliation because later when it says that the Gentiles have been grafted into the olive tree, it's not referring to only the Gentiles who are born again. It's referring to the Gentiles as a whole. The rest of the world has been grafted in to the olive tree. In other words, so they've been reconciled. Salvation has been made available. But ultimately, it's only those who stand in faith or stand by faith that stand in the olive tree. And this is so important. I'll explain later because it has implications of whether or not a believer can lose their salvation. And so Paul is saying, if their rejection of Christ meant reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance of Christ mean? And he says, it'll mean life from the dead. In other words, if the Jewish people were to accept Christ, it means they would receive life from the dead. In other words, they would be born again. So no, they haven't stumbled to the point of falling away completely. 
No, there is still opportunity for them to receive Messiah and be saved. And if they did that, that would mean life from the dead. And so salvation is available to every Jewish person, even those who rejected Christ and the ones even who crucified Christ. If they were to turn and accept Christ, they would receive life from the dead. Verse 16, Paul says, If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. I believe the first fruits is Abraham. Abraham is the first fruits. God made promises to Abraham. God set Abraham apart. He called him out of the Gentiles and set him apart from the rest of the world. And he chose him to be a recipient of grace, of the grace covenant, of the Abrahamic covenant, where God would bless him, not because of anything he's done or because of who he is, but simply because God has chosen to bless him through grace. And Abraham believed God and God considered that righteousness and, and blessed him. And so Abraham is the first fruits of the dough. He is the, the root and the natural descendants of Israel are the branches and they are the whole lump. Abraham is the first fruits and Israel is the whole lump. And because Abraham was set apart, it means the rest of Israel has been set apart. And so God is not rejecting Israel because of the promises that he's honoring that he made to Abraham. And so the whole lump being holy and the branches being holy, it doesn't mean that they're all saved. It doesn't mean that they've been made holy. It just means that they've been set apart. Because Abraham was set apart, God made promises to him. It means that God honors those promises. Those promises are irrevocable. So God made those promises. God set Abraham apart. It means his descendants are also set apart. And all of this is to say that Israel is not cut off and beyond reach of the gospel. They can still be saved. That's what Paul is emphasizing here, that Israel can still be saved, because that is his heart. He wants to see Israel saved. He says, I hope that the gospel going out to the Gentiles provokes my fellow Jews in order that I might save some of them. And then verse 17, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, Remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. And so you can see that the tone is beginning to shift a little bit in Paul's writings. Um, perhaps he's picking up something negative or he's trying to preempt any negative thinking from the Gentiles. Anything of superiority where they think that because the Jews rejected Christ, now they're all cut off from God. But, you know, salvation has gone out to the Gentiles and this makes the Gentiles superior somehow. Um, Paul is just wanting to preempt that and just bring them back to humility and to faith so that they don't put their confidence in God's choosing, in God's election, that God's now chosen the Gentiles and he's rejected the Israelites. No, don't put your confidence in any of that. Make sure your confidence is in Christ and that you have faith in Christ and that you're relying upon the grace of God, not upon election, not upon God's choosing, not upon your race or nationality, but simply upon faith. All right, let me just try and go back through it and just to bring clarity with what Paul is saying. Paul says, but if some of the branches were broken off. Now, what are the branches that were broken off? That is the Jewish people that didn't believe, who rejected Christ. They are the natural branches, the natural descendants of Abraham. They were broken off. And, and then he says, and you Although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others. And so you, a wild olive shoot, who's that? It's speaking about the Gentiles. The Gentiles have been brought into God's plan of salvation. Because of what the Jews did in rejecting Christ, it means the Gentiles have been reconciled and brought into God's plan of salvation. They can become the people of God too. Okay, And he says, and you now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. So the olive tree, this is God's family tree starting in Abraham. Abraham is the root of God's covenanted people. So the Gentiles have been grafted into Abraham, but you have to see this. It's, he's talking about all the Gentiles have been grafted in. And it's not just the born again ones that have been grafted in. He's, he's speaking in general 
that all of the Gentiles have been brought into God's salvation plan. Salvation has been made available to all of the Gentiles. And so everything that God promised to Abraham and promised to the descendants of Abraham, that now has also gone out to the Gentiles. The Gentiles now get to be included in that. But then he gives a warning. He says in verse 18, Do not be arrogant towards the branches. Don't think just because God has chosen to include all the Gentiles now in God's salvation plan, that means that you're saved. He says, If you are arrogant, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. You need to realize that salvation would not have come to the Gentiles if it wasn't for the Jews. God's promise of salvation first came through the Jews and Abraham was the root and the natural descendants are the seed of Abraham. And through the lineage of Abraham came the Messiah. And so the Jewish people actually brought forth the Messiah. And so it's not the Gentiles that support the Jews in being saved. It's actually the Jewish people that support the Gentiles in being saved. And so Paul is simply wanting them, the Gentiles, to recognize the, the source of salvation, where it comes from, so that they won't be arrogant and boastful in themselves. And they're boasting about their works and their branches or their, just that God's chosen them for salvation and God's rejected the Jews, but he's chosen us. Saying, don't put your confidence in any of that. No, no, realize that salvation has come through the Jewish people. And yes, they currently, many of them have rejected this salvation, which enabled salvation to go out to the Gentiles. But don't forget that the Messiah came through the Jews and it is Messiah. This is the source of salvation. Ultimately, Christ is the root and the olive tree and the nourishing sap that we get to enjoy comes from him. But the simple fact is he's saying, Gentiles, don't think that you're superior in any way to the Jews. In fact, you need to honor and respect the Jewish people because the very salvation that has been made available to you, it actually came through the Jewish people. That's the simple revelation he's saying. And then in verse 19, he says, then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their un." belief but you stand fast through faith and this is so important to see this is what paul has been getting at and this shows very clearly that the jewish people that were broken off they were broken off because of unbelief it wasn't because of any sovereign election or god hardening heart or choosing they had unbelief and they rejected the messiah and so they were broken off and he says but you need to realize you stand fast by faith and so don't be arrogant. Don't boast in anything except for Jesus. And the way I see it is that all of the Gentiles were grafted into the olive tree, God's plan of salvation, God's family tree, God's plan of salvation, beginning in Abraham, you know, all of that. All of the Gentiles were grafted into that, but they only stand firm if they have faith. In other words, if the Gentiles are arrogant and don't recognize where salvation comes from and they're boasting in themselves and in, in anything else other than Christ, then the graft doesn't take. All right. So there's a lot of branches that will get grafted into a tree, but some of the, the branches don't actually take and they get broken off again. The branches that do get connected, they actually receive the nourishing sap from the root. And so the way that the Gentiles are saved is by receiving the nourishing sap of the root, which ultimately is Christ, is grace, is salvation by grace. And that can only take place if they have faith. So the Gentiles, even though they've been grafted into the tree, the graft only takes, they only stand fast in the tree if they have faith. And that is so important to see. And so that's why Paul then says, so do not become proud, but fear. And this isn't Paul trying to scare them into performance. He's trying to make sure that the Gentiles who are hearing the gospel genuinely put their faith in Christ to make sure that they are saved. Okay, he says, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. So the natural branches, 
that failed to have faith in Christ, they were broken off. So the, these Jewish people, they were never born again. They didn't get born again and then go into unbelief and then God broke them off. No, they never had faith in the first place. They never received Christ. They, they were in unbelief. They stayed in Moses. They were supposed to transition into faith in Christ, and yet they stayed in Moses and rejected Christ. So they never got born again, and so they were cut off. Now, the Gentiles that get grafted into the tree, those that don't have faith in Christ, that don't stand fast in faith, they can be broken off. And we need to see that they were not saved in the first place. Just like the Jews that were broken off weren't saved, so Gentiles can be in the tree included in God's salvation, but they only stand fast in salvation and in the nourishings if they have faith in Christ. And if they don't have faith in Christ, they too will be cut off. Because if God didn't spare the natural branches that never got saved, that didn't have faith, but were in unbelief, then God's not going to spare the Gentiles who also don't have faith and don't receive Christ. That's what the scripture is saying. And then verse 22, which gets completely distorted and messed up, I'm going to just clear it up for you right now. It says, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. Now this verse gets used to scare Christians into believing that they can lose their salvation, but that is not what the scripture is saying. And I've heard a number of people that teach on these scriptures and they get to this scripture and they don't know how to interpret it. And they leave you thinking that Gentiles who are saved, if they don't continue in the goodness of God, then at some point God could just cut them off and that's it. They lose their salvation. So how does someone continue in God's kindness? Simply by having faith in Jesus. So Israel was called by God to be God's people. And they received the law of Moses and they were still God's people under the law of Moses. And they were walking with God. But then Christ came and they were supposed to cross over the Jordan because the Jordan represents transition, transition from Moses into Christ. And that whole baptism in the Jordan where all of Israel came out to be baptized, that was symbolic of the children of Israel entering into the promised land. Remember, it was the Israelites who had hard hearts of unbelief. They were not allowed to go into the promised land. The promised land is the land of rest. It figuratively represents Christ and it represents salvation. And Moses wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. He had to stay on the other side of the Jordan. And so that, that baptism symbolizes Israel transitioning, leaving Moses behind, coming through the Jordan, it's like dying and being raised up with Christ and coming into Christ, having faith in Christ, entering into rest, which is grace, resting in grace, not works, but resting in grace. That is the picture that is given in Hebrews chapter 4. And so Israel had come up to the Jordan in Moses, and yet they failed to continue in God because of their evil hearts of unbelief. It was only the Joshua generation, the next generation, that entered into the promised land through faith. And Joshua led them into the promised land in faith. And so around the time of Jesus, Israel came out to be baptized by John the Baptist and also even baptized by Jesus. And that is because Israel now had to transition from Moses and from the law and from works and transition into Christ and into faith and into grace. And so to do that, that is to continue in the goodness of God. Now, if you fail to continue in God, you fail to move with God's plan of salvation. You come up to the Jordan and you decide, no, I'm going to stay in Moses. I'm going to stay in works. I'm going to stay under the law. I'm going to stay in the animal sacrifices. Well, Christ now has come. His once for all sacrifice has been offered. Now there is no other sacrifice for sin. And so if you try to continue in Moses and the sacrificial system, you're not saved. You need to leave Moses and you need to continue in the goodness of God because the goodness of God is Christ. That's the love of God 
to mankind and the love of God to Israel. And so Israel failed to continue in the goodness of God, the salvation that came through Christ. They rejected it. And at that point, they stopped continuing in the goodness of God. They, they never entered into it. And so they experienced the severity of God of being cut off and broken off. And he's saying it's the same with you Gentiles. God's goodness has been revealed to you through Jesus. And now you've been included in God's salvation plan. Now you need to continue. You need to go further and receive Christ. Just like Israel had to transition from Moses and into Christ, you Gentiles, you have to transition from idols and pagan worship and into Christ. And so ultimately what he's saying is that if Gentiles don't have faith and receive the kindness and the goodness of God, nourishing sap, then they too will be cut off. Now, if you see the Gentiles being grafted in only as born-again Gentiles being grafted into the tree, then you're going to read this the wrong way. You're going to think he's saying that if born-again Gentiles don't continue in the goodness of God, then God's just going to cut you off. But that is not what Paul is trying to say here. Paul is trying to get their eyes and their thinking on faith. And so Paul's warning here is not about losing salvation. It's about failing to enter into salvation. That's what he was saying about the Jews. They never entered into salvation because of their unbelief. And that is what he's saying about the Gentiles. Be careful that you don't miss out on the salvation because of unbelief. He's saying, don't be arrogant. Recognize where salvation comes from. It came through the Jews and it came through Christ and you need to put your faith in Christ. And so that's the way that I see this scripture. I don't see it as Gentiles that are born again. Only they are grafted into the tree. I believe all Gentiles are grafted into the tree, but only the ones that have faith, they are the ones who stand. But you stand by faith. And so this verse doesn't scare me as a believer thinking, oh, if I don't continue in the goodness of God, then I could be cut off. I mean, how many Christians are continuing fully in all the goodness of God? I mean, what degree of goodness do you need to be continuing in? What happens if you're struggling and you don't know how to continue fully in all the goodness of God? Does that mean you're going to be cut off? No, it's, that's confusing. That's weird. That's not what the scripture is saying. The scripture is simply talking about receiving Christ. By faith. That is what it means to continue in the goodness of God. Salvation has been extended to you. Now continue in the goodness of God and receive that salvation by having faith in Christ. That is how you stand fast in the tree. And you become part of God's family tree, God's people. You actually become a child of Abraham, receive all the blessings of Abraham, and you become the Israel of God, the spiritual Israel of God that is from above. And so these verses shouldn't scare us. They should make us sober. Make sure you're saved. Make sure you have faith in Christ. Gentiles, you've heard about this salvation. Make sure you've received this salvation. That is simply what Paul is saying. And then he says in verse 23, And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. Paul is saying that the Jewish people that are not currently saved, if they don't continue in unbelief, but in fact have faith in Christ, they will be saved. God will graft them back in. God has the power to do that. So again, this shows that God hasn't completely cut them off because of their unbelief and rejecting Christ. But salvation is still open to the Jewish people. And how are the Jewish people going to be saved? Very simple, Paul says, if they don't continue in unbelief, if they have faith in Christ, they will be saved. So it's possible for all Jews to be saved right from the time of Paul, even up until now. It's possible all Jews, none of them are cut off. None of them are rejected by God. But they have to have faith. You know, yes, they might have been broken off, but if they have faith in Christ, they will be grafted back in. And that is how they need to be saved. That is the only way that they can be saved, simply by having faith in Jesus. This is important to see it because we're going to need this verse for later on when we get to verse 26. And then verse 24, Paul says, For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, 
be grafted back into their own olive tree. And this reminds me of all those scriptures that talk about salvation has come and it's first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. God chose the Jewish people. He called them to be his people and he, he called them to be saved. But obviously, they can only be saved through Christ. And they should have been they should have all been saved. They should have all recognized the Messiah and been saved. But unfortunately, they didn't because of their unbelief. And it's, and it's sad because out of all people on the earth, they should have been the first to get saved. They shouldn't have missed out. And yet so many of them did miss out. It, it just seems so obvious that salvation was for them and they definitely should have been included. And yet so many of them missed out. But there was purpose in that, in that through their rejection, salvation went out to the Gentiles but the door is not closed to them. They can come in and be saved if they would have faith in Christ. God would graft them back in and God would be so willing to graft them in. Like if he's willing to graft the Gentiles in who are wild olive tree, not even a part of the natural olive tree, not even a part of God's actual salvation plan. They just recipients receive salvation. But the Jews were part of God's salvation plan. And so certainly they will be grafted back in if they have faith in Jesus, which is just a wonderful scripture. Okay, verse 25. Um, now, this scripture confuses a lot of people and some strange doctrines have come out of this scripture. And so I want to read it and clear it up as best as I can. Verse 25 says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so verse 26 is the scripture that causes a lot of confusion here. Because it says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. And so there's a lot of people that believe that all of Israel is just going to mysteriously get saved. And when is that going to happen? Well, they'll say at the end of the age, because I believe they read verse 25 wrong or out of context. It's, it's set in a future tense, but is it speaking about the future or is it speaking about now, like Paul's time or the time of Christ? And I believe it's actually speaking about the time of Christ and not some future event. And so let's look at it again. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. And it sounds like what he was warning them before. Don't be arrogant. Don't be proud, but fear. In other words, you need to understand where the source of salvation comes from. And so he says the same things. Don't be wise in your own sight. Don't be unaware. Which shows me this links everything he's saying here with what he's just being saying. Okay, he's using the same kind of language. Don't be arrogant. Don't be unaware. Don't be proud. Um, don't be wise in your own sight. Don't be unaware of this mystery, brothers. Okay, and then he says, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Are we supposed to see that as all of Israel has just hardened their hearts until the fullness of the Gentiles come in or until all of the Gentiles that are going to be saved, they get saved. And once all the Gentiles are saved, then at the end of the age... Somehow, mysteriously, all the Jews are going to look upon Christ and, and, and just suddenly want to get saved. And so all of Israel is going to be saved. Is that how we're supposed to read it? Or we're supposed to read this, these verses in context with everything he's just been saying. And I believe we're supposed to read it in context with everything he's just been saying. Because he says here, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And what he is saying is that Israel hardened their hearts and didn't receive Christ. They rejected Christ and, and crucified Christ. And because of that, salvation went out to all the Gentiles, to the fullness of the Gentiles. And all the Gentiles have been included now in God's salvation plan. This is supposed to make the Jewish people jealous and provoke them to jealousy so that they will desire what the Gentiles are receiving, and that is salvation by grace through faith. And so as they get jealous and they desire to receive salvation, then 
if they abide not in unbelief, but have faith in Christ, then they too will be saved. They will be grafted back into the tree. And in this way, Israel will be saved. All of Israel will be saved. All of Israel that is going to get saved, that can be saved, that is still available to be saved, this is how they're going to be saved. In this way, all of Israel will be saved. And so I believe that is the context of what he's talking about. And the thing that really reinforces that this is the context, that it's not talking about a future event where all Israel is, but he's talking about the time around Christ. That is the time period in sight, present day and not future, is because in the very same sentence in verse 26, where it says, and in this way, all Israel will be saved, comma, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. This is a messianic promise. This messianic prophecy appears in numbers of prophetic books in the Old Testament. And they all spoke about a future coming Messiah, the deliverer that will come and he will banish ungodliness from Jacob, from Israel, and he will make a new covenant and take away their sins. And so that's not speaking about some future event, the second coming of Christ. That's speaking about the first coming of Christ. And so in this way, all Israel will be saved. How? When Jesus comes, when the deliverer comes and he takes away sin and they put their faith in him. That is how Israel is going to be saved. Okay, this is not some other gospel that we preach where all of Israel somehow is going to mysteriously be saved in the future. No, this is the gospel that is in the New Testament. And this is what Paul's been saying, that Israel rejected Christ, but they're not cut off. They can still be saved if they will put their faith in the Deliverer, the Messiah who came. And so even though there's some parts that make this sound like it's futuristic, that's what gets confusing. It sounds like it's futuristic, but if you read it in context, you'll see it supports everything Paul has just been saying about the character and the nature of Israel. And this messianic prophecy shows us that the timeline is not somewhere in the future, but it is around the time of Christ. That's what I believe Paul was trying to communicate in these verses. And, you know, you'll get a lot of people that will say, well, there's numbers of different ways of seeing this verse. Like, you could believe that he's speaking about all of Israel. This is how all of Israel will be saved. And when he says all Israel, he's speaking about the Jews, the elect that are saved, but he's also speaking about the spiritual Israel, the Gentiles that are included, and together that makes up all of Israel. And so this is how all of Israel will be saved, the natural descendants that believed, the spiritual descendants who believe, and that makes up all of Israel. They had faith in Christ, and that is how all Israel will be saved. Like, that does sound plausible, and that, that is consistent, and that works. That is true, but I don't believe that is what Paul was trying to say here. And there's also, there's other views. There's many different theological perspectives of interpreting verse 26, all of Israel will be saved. But I believe there is only one perspective, one thought that Paul was trying to communicate. And so I'm not interested in finding out about all the different ways that we could interpret this. I want to know what was Paul intending his audience to hear and understand when he was saying these things. That's what I want to, because that is the most accurate. That is scripture. And so you have to put it in context. And if you don't put it in context, then, then you're going to live thinking, wow, one day all of Israel is just mysteriously going to get saved. And it just leads to some weird dichotomy of the gospel. And it, to me, that distorts the gospel. Because Paul was explaining the gospel here very clearly. And it's so simple. It comes down to faith. You need to hear the message of Jesus, the gospel of salvation through Christ. That salvation is not through works, but it is through faith in Christ. That's it. That's the gospel. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, it makes no difference. Jews need to receive Jesus through faith and Gentiles need to receive Jesus through faith in order to be saved. And if there is some future event that's going to save all of the Jews, then you need to be consistent and believe there's some future event that's going to save all the Gentiles as well. But that is getting into some strange, bizarre territory. And I just refuse to go there. And understanding scripture in context 
restrains me from going there. Now, I would love it if all the Jews got saved, and I would love it if all the Gentiles got saved, but I don't believe that that's in Scripture. I believe many will get saved if they put their faith in Jesus, but if the Jewish people don't put their faith in Jesus, they're not going to mysteriously just be saved. And if you believe that they are, then you're believing a different gospel and you're believing in some strange and weird things. So then verse 28, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. So this is speaking about the Jewish people that have rejected Christ. So as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, meaning that the Jewish people in Paul's time and Rome, the Roman Christian Gentiles time, the Jewish people that had rejected the gospel, they were enemies of these Gentiles, of believers. They were enemies of God and they, and they persecuted Paul and they persecuted the church, Christians, for the gospel because of their belief in salvation through faith. And so these unbelieving Jews are not they're not saved. They're not friendly. In fact, they will treat you like you're an enemy. And so Paul's not saying like treat them like enemies, but that is the nature of your relationship. It's like you're enemies. You're in grace and they are in works. And, and Paul says before, it's either grace or it's work. It's not both. And so there is this clash. Those that are in grace are going to clash with those that are under the law, trying to earn salvation by the law. There's this clashing. And so Paul says the nature of that relationship is your enemies because of the gospel. And Paul was persecuted by these religious Jews all over the world. And he says, but as regard election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. And this election, it's not some are called to be saved, some are not called. It's, it's the election of grace. And it's the whole thing of the olive tree where God chose Abraham. He elected, he called Abraham out of the Gentiles, and he chose to bless him through grace and through faith. And Abraham believed God, and, and Abraham, God made many promises to Abraham. Abraham was the root and the source of the children of God. And so all Jewish people are natural descendants of Abraham, and that makes them beloved because of their forefathers, because of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he's saying, like, yes, even though they hate you because of the gospel, you should consider them as beloved and be friendly towards the Jewish people and you should honor them because they are natural descendants of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Even though many of them are enemies to the gospel and to Christians, we should honor them because salvation actually came through them. And God's desire is to use all of that to see them getting saved. And he says, verse 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable meaning that God has called them, the Jewish people, to be his children. And he's not just going to reject them and cut them off and exclude them from salvation. No, he's, he's called them to inherit salvation. And so as long as they're alive on this earth, they have the opportunity to be saved. And we know from what Paul said, if they have faith in Christ, then they will be saved, if they abide not in unbelief. And so God is never, ever going to take away their opportunity to be saved, even though they committed the greatest sin possible, murdering, killing the Messiah. Even those who murdered Jesus are still able to be saved. And that really shows the incredible grace of God. And so in verse 30, he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so too they have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may receive mercy. And this is just the irony and the mystery of God's salvation plan. And this really, Paul's just summing up everything he said. And he's, he's just saying that the Gentiles were just disobedient to God and just lost and cut off and objects of the wrath of God. But through Israel's disobedience, mercy suddenly came to the Gentiles. And then even though now they are disobedient, because of the mercy shown to you, they might hopefully receive mercy as well. And this is just incredible. It's like, it's like Paul saying the Gentiles need the Jews and the Jews need the Gentiles. And, and, and this is how God has intended it from the start. God said to Abraham, I will bless you. And through your seed, all nations on earth 
will be blessed. And so there should be no elitism. There should definitely not be any racism, thinking that we are superior, that for the Gentiles thinking they're superior to the Jews or the Jews thinking they're superior to the Gentiles. Neither are superior to other. Both actually need each other. In God's salvation plan, we've needed each other. The Gentiles needed the Jews because salvation came through the Jews. And the Jews need the Gentiles because God has displayed his mercy to the Gentiles to show the Jews that it's not through the law, but it's through grace that you're saved. And the fact that the Gentiles are getting saved, God is showing favor and love even to the Gentiles is supposed to provoke them to jealousy and make them want to desire to receive what the Gentiles have received. In verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And so it doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Gentile. Jews are disobedient. Gentiles are disobedient. And it's got nothing to do with your pedigree or your performance, who you are, whether you're natural branch or a wild branch. It's got nothing to do with any of that. It's got to do with we're all lost. We're all sinners. We all need a savior. Jesus is the savior. God's grace and mercy comes through Christ. Now we need to put our faith in Jesus and receive God's grace receive his righteousness and receive eternal life through faith in Jesus. And this is just the simple point that Paul's trying to make. But even though the gospel is so simple, when you look at the, the great span and the master plan of God in his election of grace and his incredible divine plan of salvation, it's just mind-blowing and that's what Paul's been going through. And then he gets to this point where it's just so wonderfully overwhelming that he just begins to worship and praise God for his divine wisdom in the gospel. And verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. No one can challenge God. No one can say, well, this wasn't fair. Why did you do this? What about them? Uh, you know, God's ways are inscrutable. His whole divine plan is perfect. God is perfectly just. Everything God has done is with full wisdom and knowledge. And no one will ever be able to challenge God. God's justice and God's ways of doing things are not at the mercy of anyone. God is God. And we need to submit and surrender to God and fall in line with Him and come into faith with Him. Not think we can challenge God. Not think that we know better than God or our form of justice is greater than God. Any form of justice we have originates from God, comes from God. So if we think our form of justice is greater than God's, we're deceived. And if we think we're going to stand before God one day and scrutinize Him, we are utterly deceived and in for a rude awakening. And Paul recognizes this. He has this holy reverential fear of God because he sees the greatness of God and he is in awe of God. And he just loves the gospel and the mystery of the gospel. And he goes on here, verse 34, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then this grand crescendo of praise at the end, which is like a glorious firework display that celebrates everything Paul has been saying about the gospel in these first 11 chapters. This really is the orthodoxy of the gospel. This is the doctrine of the gospel because then Paul shifts in chapter 12 to go on to talk about the orthopraxy. It's, it's the outworking of the gospel and what we do because of the gospel. And so he goes on to talk about how we live it out in this world and how this revelation actually brings unity between Jews and Gentiles. And we can actually work together and not be separate and not be racist, but actually love each other and honor each other and work together in the gospel to see as many people saved as possible. And so Romans really divides into two sections. One, the first 11 chapters is the orthodoxy, what we believe, what we understand about the gospel, and then the orthopraxy from chapter 12 to 16. And so right at the end of these 11 chapters about Paul's thesis on the gospel of grace, he finishes in verse 36 saying, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory 
forever. Amen. The truth is, you cannot worship God beyond your revelation of grace. And so, the greater your revelation of grace, the greater your worship for God will be. When that woman poured out a year's wages over the, of an alabaster jar of perfume over the feet of Jesus, she did that because she realized how much she was forgiven. And Jesus says, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those that are forgiven little, love little. And so she just realized how incredible the grace of God is. And it caused her to fall in love with Jesus and to want to pour out everything she had to Jesus. And so the greater our revelation of grace, the greater our worship to God, the greater our surrender to God, the greater our service to God will be. And so people that struggle to worship God and to walk with God and to serve God, it's probably because they don't have a good, sound foundation of grace and revelation of grace. And so it's not about trying to whip people up. Come on, worship God, serve God. You know, all this author praxy. Come on, you need to do these things. It's like, no, that's why Paul starts with the gospel, with the foundation of the gospel, because that actually empowers and leads to the outworking and and. The, the greater our foundation in chapters 1 to 11, the greater and more effective our outworking is going to be in chapters 12 to 16. And so the gospel is not about who God has chosen, who God hasn't chosen. God has called all to believe and the way that he's chosen or elected for us to believe is through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, salvation is open to all. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's got nothing to do with who you are, your pedigree. It's got nothing to do with your performance. It's got nothing to do whether God has chosen the Jews or whether God has chosen the Gentile. God has chosen all. And this is all a part of God's divine mystery. First the Jews in Abraham. Then, through their sin, salvation went out to the whole world. And everyone is included. There's no exclusivity in God's election of grace. Now, everyone is included in God's election of grace. And God has chosen that anyone who gets saved, it's not going to be through pedigree and it's not going to be through works. It is going to be through grace. <laughs>